Hello, I'm Maria Titizian. And I'm Rubina Margosian, and welcome to the Week in Review for the week of September 29. In the news, Artsakh's president signs a decree dissolving all state institutions and organizations by January 1, 2024. The world is witnessing the ethnic cleansing of the indigenous Armenian population of Artsakh in silence. 90,000 traumatized, homeless, dispossessed people have already crossed into Armenia, and Armenia is set to ratify the Rome Statute and more. After last week's Azerbaijani attack on Artsakh and the subsequent ceasefire agreement reached between Azerbaijan and Artsakh's government yesterday, on September 28, Artsakh's president, Samvel Shahramanian, signed a decree to dissolve all state institutions and organizations of Artsakh by January 1, 2024, and wrote the Republic of Nagorno-Karabakh Artsakh ceases to exist. The decree stated, the population of Nagorno-Karabakh, including those residing outside the Republic, shall, after the entry into force of this decree, become acquainted with the terms of reintegration presented by the Republic of Azerbaijan with the aim of making an independent and individual decision regarding the possibility of staying or returning to Nagorno-Karabakh. This decree comes into effect immediately upon publication. As per the ceasefire agreement of September 20, at the end of last week, uh, units of the Artsakh Defense Army surrendered their weapons and ammunition under the supervision of the Russian peacekeepers withdrawing from their positions. And starting from September 24, the mass exodus of the Armenian population of Artsakh began as people tried to flee their homes and find refuge in the Republic of Armenia. As of now, over 90,000 forcibly displaced people have entered Armenia from Nagorno-Karabakh. The forcibly displaced population is arriving in Armenia through Gornitsor. Initially, they were going to Goris, where their information was being collected and registered. Both in Gornitsor and in Goris, there are a number of humanitarian stations ready to provide necessary medical assistance to those who are arriving. And now there is a second uh, reporting station that has been set up in Vaik uh, for the people fleeing from Nagorno-Karabakh to be registered and receive uh, any kind of assistance that they may need. And Rubina, you just came back last night uh, from Goris and Vaik. You saw with your own eyes what was taking place there as we were here sitting in Yerevan looking at the video footage of the incredible uh, congestion on the road and just thousands and thousands of people uh, streaming into uh, Armenia and, you know, as we said at the top, basically with nothing. Um, Tell us what you saw, if you don't mind. I know it was a difficult thing to bear witness to. Well, it's my job to bear witness to and to also it's our job to tell the stories Maria. so uh, the center in Kornizor doesn't function work anymore they moved that to Vike. it was also kind of what this stop, first stop for people it's still there as they're just giving like primary food for whoever's hungry and primary assistance but as a registration center uh, now it's Vike. it's not Kornizor so and later on people are arriving in Goris at the uh, cultural center in Goris to this is for their primary needs assessment and for their locations for where they're going to live or where they're going to stay. I don't know how to describe the situation, Maria. It is ethnic cleansing. You, you do witness ethnic cleansing as it happened. People are arriving in, in different vehicles uh, under different circumstances. Uh, there are people on the road, like there are camping relatives from Armenia under tents waiting for these families to arrive. And this is not being reported on uh, as much mm-hmm. because it's yeah, like secondary. That. For three days, I met this family that was just like waiting, living under a tent on the road at Gornizor, like waiting for their families. Families are arriving in Gornizor. Now, there's a lot of discussion of how how this humanitarian aid is being organized, Maria. 
the volunteers are amazing. It's kind of like they brought back my faith in humanity in this devastating situation. 24-7, they're there assisting with everything possible. Uh, the process is organized as organized as a difficult situation like this can be. But here are the couple of things that I noticed that are not being told and uh, talked about. It's becoming increasing. There's like layers and layers of problems or situational uh, problems that are raising coming out people are arriving in large groups these are big families yeah, maria yeah, yeah. it's very difficult to find places for them to live that when they understandably they do not want to be separated from one another so they want to be placed in one place like a family of 20 a family of 15 people you know a whole relatives and uh, there's like amounting to 40 people and they all want to go to the same place they do not understandably so want to go to any of the border areas but you know, these are where all of the empty, empty homes, homes are. are and are being suggested, not necessarily, uh, and even if it was a policy to try to populate these areas. But like factually, these are where the empty homes are. They do not understand Armenia's, as we do not understand Artsakh's uh, geography. They do not understand which area is which. You know, they're hearing Tavush and they know Tavush is being attacked. Even if it's Dilijan, they're refusing to go to Dilijan. So they're remaining at the center and there's media reporting that people are on the streets, some uh, not going, but they have been offered places to go, but so difficult to arrive with nothing and within half an hour upon your arrival to be asked to make a decision where do as you to go? where do you want to go mm -hmm. and they are faced with decision there's no alternative to this there's no saying uh, let's let's you know just stay here uh, and like we'll ask you again next week right. <laughs> right. of course there are families who are refusing to make a decision because they're still waiting for other family members to, uh, to get out of Artsakh so there's also this layers and layers of you know Maria they've been giving sim cards there's like a transportation for them to go but however the buses the government has allocated are not big enough to also take their stuff with them some people have come with their animals with their and I'm not talking pets like chicken yeah. <laughs> um, some people have managed to bring all their furniture for example these cannot be transported right away as like first mm -hmm. aid mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. the humanitarian response these are being still stored in goris that needs to yeah, go under tents you were saying I saw an image of a family on a truck right mm -hmm. and and there was a small fridge that they had brought with Fridges, them of course yeah. they're like uh, they're whatever they could carry the, whatever they could carry and you know being there for three days uh, it, it really changed the first couple of days it was people uh, firstly displaced from uh, other areas already in Stepanagar right. that managed to come they were people who were in a better situation who managed to gather more stuff from Stepanagar who had the means the transportation to come and then they were people who didn't have the means and transportation to come it was like the old people's homes the, the, yeah. uh, the orphanage uh, children you know people who were just did not have anyone to drive them did not have a vehicle did not like they're just being or, or no fuel or no fuel uh, so uh, this is more or less the situation. Another thing that we never thought that would be kind of a, an issue here, uh, it's the climate. People in Artsakh are, are used to warmer climate and they're also being asked not to be sent to colder places. Mm. You were telling me a story, Rumina, that really stuck with me about a family um, that um, was uh, recommended uh, to them to go to Ashtarak. 
Yes, his family I met on the road, actually. It's a family of 15 people. Mm-hmm. And they were saying that uh, we want to go to Echmiadzin. And we want a place with land because we, we want to work with land. But we went and they asked. There was nothing in Echmiadzin. They couldn't go to Echmiadzin. We called CCN. They're given lists of uh, all municipal communities, communities right? mm-hmm. to, and with phone numbers and contact numbers to call and understand the situation if they're not uh, agreeing to go where they're suggested to go to figure out for themselves. And uh, they called CCN next and they tried to go there. And I talked with the administrator and she's like, we have a waiting list. And then, then they said, yeah. you know, they told us to go to Ashtarak, but we refused. And I'm like, why did you refuse Ashtarak? He's like, isn't it remote? I'm like, Ashtarak is 20 minutes from Yerevan. Ashtarak is a beautiful... I, I wouldn't mind living in Ashtarak, sure. you know. Why wouldn't you go to Ashtarak? He's like, yeah, do you think? So this is to extend, like, there was, like, so this other family, and she's like, this is my first time in Armenia. How wow. do I decide where to, to go? Mm-hmm. You know, this is this is the situation there. Uh, but again, shout out to all the volunteers, Maria, to all the Red Cross volunteers, to all the other community volunteers, to all the drivers, to the law enforcement that's there. There, this much humanity and this much inhumanity, it's almost like a contradiction. And uh, I kind of wrote, wrote this in response to someone else saying the same thing. Their presence there, the volunteers, makes you ashamed if you want to break down. Right. I know what you mean, because yeah. it's been hard not to. Um, but when you see those, and they were so young, all of the volunteers. Uh, 14-year-old boys doing <laughs> incredible job. This girl's making sandwiches nonstop, nonstop, Maria. as like humanely impossible how persistent they were, resilient they were. Like mm-hmm. I was tired going in every day, day after day, different hours of the day, early in the morning, really late at night, the same kids are there with the same energy. Yeah, in- incredible. And I think it's really important important to understand that 90,000 people have crossed Armenia's border in a mat- between September 24 until today. That's for a country like Armenia, who has less than 3 million people. Those are astronomical numbers. And and these aren't just people, you know, they're not Russian emigres who are coming with money and... And rolling uh, suitcases, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, these, these are people who have been under a blockade for more than nine months, under a total siege for more than three months, starving, hungry, having to deal with this trauma. You should have trauma. seen the kids' faces when they saw there was a lot of candy and someone yeah. was saying, it wasn't there a kind of better, more nutritious one? But the, their happiness at seeing something sweet. Yeah, because they hadn't had anything for and months. And it's not just the kid, children, it's it's the adults. They haven't, you know, we're forgetting they're coming from hunger. We're not forgetting, but yeah, we're not emphasizing it enough. Yeah, indeed. Well, yeah, and some of your the photos that you sent were really powerful, especially with the senior citizens. And I was just thinking how many wars these people have seen, how much trauma they've seen. They're alone and scared. And you were saying that they were confused about what was happening they were coming out of the bus and walking in different directions yeah it was very this is why i'm also saying the patience also of these volunteers for hours without saying anything rough or without any single uh, anger Mm -hmm. they convinced the senior citizens to (laughs) which is difficult for them they're not understanding they just want to go we're afraid that they're going to get lost they don't have cell phones there's no way of understanding who they are there's no list they had to keep these people in the bus but then they until they got the other bus to to relocate them right it was really heartbreaking 
Well, as the humanitarian catastrophe uh, is unfolding, uh, again, as we said at the top before the world, there are other issues at hand. On September 27, Rupen Vartanyan, um, he is the former state minister of Artsakh, was arrested and detained by Azerbaijani authorities at the border as he tried to leave with the thousands, tens of thousands of Armenians who are fleeing. And today, Azerbaijan arrested David Manukyan. He's a former deputy commander of Artsakh's defense army. There are media reports of others being arrested. These are high-level officials, army uh, sort of brass. Um, we have not had confirmation, so we don't want to give their names. But we knew about this. Uh, there was a blacklist. Reuters uh, had uh, mm -hmm. had said this is not coming from Armenian sources. Reuters had published that there is a bla blacklist in Azerbaijan with a couple of hundred names. And then at the beginning, we were seeing that everyone could leave. Even some, some high-ranking commanders were able to come to Armenia. It kind of seemed like they're letting everyone right, through. Right. But then again, this uh, what we were afraid of, of this blacklist and arbitrary it's detentions. It's coming to fruition. It, it is, it is uh, They were saying that, um, I don't know if you spoke to anybody, they were saying that as the car were leaving at the Azerbaijani uh, checkpoint on the Hakari Bridge, let's call it an illegal checkpoint, that they were making the men come out and walk. And uh, walk. They, they were, were being, being videotaped. Filmed, yes. They weren't necessarily asking for Documentation, documentations, yeah. but they were all being filmed. Uh, and uh, again, this is a huge concern. If anybody at any point, you know, would have the opportunity to go back and maybe bring back some of their belongings, because some of them actually left at gunpoint. There was a video today, I don't know if you saw, of uh, Armenians leaving a village, and it was already overrun by Azerbaijani soldiers with guns pointed at them. So people didn't have the time. And there was a story, and you probably saw yourself, of, you know, some women in slippers. Uh, many, many in slippers. Yeah. A lot of children, uh, like not a lot of, especially, were arriving with one shoe on. What do you mean? Like the one pair of shoes? Just one shoe. The other leg was uh, like one, one foot. Just was, yeah. Yeah. And, just and another foot thing I think foot. that we need to talk about is that that journey from Stepanagert to uh, Gornitsorgoris is uh, it's a, usually a two-hour drive, but it was taking up to 36 hours, and they're all already registered uh, deaths, people who died on the, on the journey because there was no cell phone connection. There was, I mean, 36 hours, no food. Azerbaijanis had like uh, yeah, a ton okay. of water and cookies, but like <laughs> also kind of think about these people who've not had access to any hygiene products with children, women, uh, and in sitting 36 hours in cars, not even, I Baby wish there formula. were cars. Yeah, yeah. I wish there were cars. It was just like flatbed trucks, some of them. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so listen, uh, this is uh, going to be uh, an ongoing situation that we will be covering. And thank you, uh, Rubina, for going and, and, and sharing those stories. Um, like you said, as a journalist, we don't have the time or the or a minute to, to break down. We have to keep working. Um, to address the situation, yesterday at a cabinet meeting, Armenia's Prime Minister Nigol Pashinyan stated that the exodus of Armenians from Nagorno-Karabakh continues as a result of the policy of ethnic cleansing carried out by Azerbaijan. He said that their uh, analysis shows that no Armenian will be left in Nagorno-Karabakh in the coming days. Uh, this is a direct act of ethnic cleansing and dispossession, and what we've been warning about the international community for a long time. Statements made by various international actors condemning ongoing ethnic cleansing in Nagorno-Karabakh are important, but if no concrete actions follow, these statements will be viewed only for creating moral statistics for history. Well, Maria, we were just doing the uh, looking at the numbers. 10 p.m. yesterday, 78,000 people had left Artsakh. 10 a.m. today, 88,000. That's like 
10,000 people in 10 hours. This is the night, middle of the night. Yeah, yeah. And, and now it's over 90,000 already at this point. And this is as of uh, noon. Yeah. We are now uh, late into the day Friday. So we'll have more numbers shortly. We won't have time to do them for the podcast, obviously, but those numbers will keep increasing. Well, Pashinyan added that by simply making statements and not taking action, countries are trying to have an opportunity to separate themselves from this crime. If no relevant political and legal decisions follow the statements on condemning it, the condemnations become acts of giving consent to what's happening, he said. He also said that the primary duty of the Armenian government is to receive our brothers and sisters forcibly displaced from Nagorno-Karabakh with the utmost care and ensure their urgent needs are met. Well, in response to Pashinyan's remarks at the cabinet meeting, Azerbaijan's foreign ministry responded that the current departure of Armenian residents of the Gharapakh region of Azerbaijan is their personal and individual decision. It has nothing to do with forced relocation. If some segments of Armenian residents do not want to live and obey Azerbaijan's legislation and rule, we cannot force them to do so. On the contrary, we call on Armenians not to leave their places of residence and be part of multi-ethnic Azerbaijan. No commentary, I think, at this point. Well, since September 21, the State Service of Emergency Situations of Artsakh's Ministry of Internal Affairs reported that search operations for servicemen and civilians killed and missing as a result of Azerbaijan's military assault have been ongoing. As of September, 2,505 bodies were found, 11 more on September 27. But again, these numbers are, are very difficult for us to give a concrete number. We have to remember at this point right now, the Artsakh state authorities are in collapse. Uh, we're getting like piecemeal information. We know that over 300 have been killed from September 19, but there's countless missing and these search operations are continuing and compounding all of this. Uh, it was almost apocalyptic. On September 25, a huge explosion in the fuel warehouse in the Askeran region. To see that those images, you know, our graphic designer, Armine, had done, a, I think it was during the war, had done a graphic, if you remember, Rubina, of, of a, of a, like a, a yes. huge fire and it just reminded me of that when I saw the images uh, well the total of 290 people with various degrees of burns were admitted to the Republican Medical Center of Artsakh and a number of uh, other medical centers and that day that day we had watched a video of how hours before the explosion yeah, how so many of the medical staff had been evacuated had fled and there were just people in the hospital uh in rooms, their beds in their just beds like, yes and there weren't enough patients. doctors there wasn't enough medicine enough uh you know whatever it was needed and these were severe burns uh that they had well, the next day, the Ministry of Health of Armenia stated that a team of doctors with the necessary medicine and medical supplies left for Stepanakert by helicopter to help those who were injured in the explosion. We know that, like many patients, have been transferred to Armenia by now. Immediately after the explosion, there were calls for a humanitarian airlift, and Armenia was able to secure, and Armenian and Russian helicopters were flying all day back and forth, bringing the severely wounded uh, to Armenia. Um, and again, uh, there is are still people missing. Uh, they have not been identified. The, their photos of their personal belongings that they had, have been found, uh, and they're asking people to identify if they recognize these items. Uh, on September 27, Armenia's health ministry reported that 237 people had been transported from Artsakh to Armenia, including those wounded by the Azerbaijani attack on September 1920 and the fuel explosion on September 25, 140 
142 persons were transported by helicopter and 95 by ambulances. Yeah, and uh, there was also reports of them transferring the bodies and, and remains because they were burned beyond recognition for DNA identification to be conducted here in Armenia. Well, amid the humanitarian catastrophe in Artsakh, a U.S. delegation led by USAID Administrator Samantha Power, including Acting Assistant Secretary of State Yuri Kim, arrived in Armenia on September 25. Power met with uh, Prime Minister Pashinyan, as did Yuri Kim, on the day of uh, their arrival, and personally delivered U.S. President Biden's letter of solidarity and support to the territorial integrity, independence, and sovereignty of Armenia. The next two days, this is on September 26 and 27, Power and her delegation visited Goris and Kornizor, where she got acquainted with the humanitarian situation on the ground and met with the forcibly displaced people. During the visit to Kornizor, she announced that the U.S. government is allocating $11.5 million in humanitarian aid to meet the needs of the forcibly displaced people from Nagorno-Karabakh. She, isn't she a genocide scholar? Indeed. And uh, it was, you know, it was incredible. It was after that this mass exodus started where people were already flooding into Armenia that the U.S. administration decided to send some of its top diplomats to the region. And, you know, I'm trying not to be cynical in, in all of this, but it was more for a photo op than anything else to say. I was here, I witnessed, I saw, and maybe it will make good material for her next book. And yet didn't see ethnic cleansing. When she it couldn't hit say me. the words. Yeah, when it hit me in the face. Yeah, she could not say the words. Well, on September 27, following her trip to Yerevan, and uh, like you said, Rubina to Gornitor and uh, Goris, power traveled to Baku. She met with President Aliyev and uh, talked about the urgent humanitarian needs in Nagorno-Karabakh. Again, Yuri Kim accompanied her, including the senior advisor for Caucasus negotiations, Luis Bono. Well, the official readout from the USAID regarding this meeting uh, stated, the administrator stressed the urgency of allowing unhindered humanitarian access to Nagorno-Karabakh including those stuck in the Laching Corridor and the urgent need for expanded access for humanitarian groups. I don't understand what she needs because there's technically at that point very little people left in Artsakh mm -hmm. and uh, no one probably will be left by the end of today. What humanitarian access right. groups well, uh, are we talking I was, about? Uh, you know, we were talking about this earlier, Rubina. I mean, they're going to go and, again, bear witness to the entire ethnic cleansing of an entire uh, group of people off their indigenous lands and, uh, you know, visit the deeply rich historical and cultural heritage that is now in danger of being albanized because, you know, we know the cultural and historical revisionism that Azerbaijan has been engaged. It, it's interesting, you know, we're following this in real time. And yes, we understand what's happening. And then somebody mentioned Kansasar the other day, and I thought, oh my God, Kansasar, that most, you know, glorious gem in Armenia's uh, cultural heritage is now in danger and, and not only Gansasar, of course, but it was that one moment in time where all of a sudden the reality hits you in the face and uh, you realize how truly, truly this is a, an absolute failure of the uh, you know rules-based order, international order of, of foreign diplomacy, of international diplomacy. And today, speaking of which, we just published the September 2023 uh, security briefing 
by Nerses Kopalian, and he has a pretty powerful passage there. I do want to read this uh, one passage because I think it is important. He, he writes that the West stood by, mesmerized by their own political haughtiness and a sense of incohate naivety while spewing endless and performative iterations of quote, concern, does not absolve them of their complicity, but unlike the positive complicity of Russia, which entailed active collusion, the West suffered from negative complicity, complicity by inaction. The prevailing arguments from Washington to Brussels that Aliyev lied and misled the rest with false promises of not using force reeks of strategic indifference. Namely, the West was simply waiting for a tenable rationale through which it can justify its inaction. We were tricked. Um, I, I do uh, recommend that you read that security briefing because it does put a lot of things into uh, context of what we are experiencing here in the region. In that vein, Maria, as to referring to what what Nurses Gopalian is referring to, the EU, France, Canada, and Sweden have announced that they will allocate financial aid for the humanitarian needs of the forcibly displaced people of Nagorno-Karabakh for medical transports and food, and also going back to the USAID visit after their visit to Kornizor and after uh, that conversation with Aliyev, <laughs> they state that they discussed the need for an international monitors on the ground in Nagorno-Karabakh to verify that people's rights are being respected and that the cultural and religious sites are protected. This is after the 28th of September when there are no people. Yeah. Uh, it's becoming, you know, the, the, this is spelling outside of logic already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well. And, and, to, and to be frank, Rubina, I don't even know if there's a point in continuing uh, reporting the news. We've been uh, we've been talking about it and updating it. And we have here a whole list of things that we should be talking about from Russia's response, which has been very, very interesting, for lack of a better word, uh, to the other international responses. And, and uh, these words of, you know, uh, this is terrible. This is such a tragedy. We're concerned. We're deeply concerned. We're seriously concerned. Um, right now, our Armenia is facing a humanitarian catastrophe on its soil. Right now, we don't know what Baku's next moves are going to be. Right now, we saw images of Azerbaijani police in the streets of Stepanagert. Uh, while there are still people there who are trying to get out, we have complete information blackout. We have uh, high-ranking state officials who are being arrested. There's still a lot of people that are unaccounted for that we know, but we don't know. This is the situation at the moment. But Russia has been very clear in its position. And today, Peskov, who is the Kremlin spokesperson, when he was asked about extending the Russian peacekeeping mission, he goes, well, that's something we're going to talk to Baku about because it is their territory. Oh, this is not the first pun announcement, sorry, from Peskov. And it's like, this is Azerbaijan territory. He was saying that while Azerbaijan was attacking mm-hmm. the Armenians. Amid all these, all those talks uh, of Armenian parliament uh, approving, uh, ratifying. ratifying the mm-hmm. Rome statute, on September 28, the Parliamentary Committee of State Legal Affairs approved ratifying the Rome Statute. The ratification will now be debated during the next parliamentary session. Russian presidential spokesperson Dmitry Peskov announced yesterday that Armenia's decision to ratify the Rome Statute is an extremely hostile step towards Russia. And this is after Armenia has, on several occasions, reassured Russia that this is not about Putin's arrest, which if that is their concern. 
And to our readers, again, uh, you can go to our website. We have uh, Artsakh News Watch, where we are updating almost minute by minute what is taking place. You can follow the situation. We will be hopefully publishing more articles in the coming days and weeks about the situation. You were interviewed by Democracy Now. Yeah, today, a couple of hours ago. <laughs> a couple of hours ago, and you know, she was asking, okay, so what's the future? I don't know that any of us can answer that question because we really don't know what the future holds at the moment. What's the history of the conflict <laughs> and what's the future? Yeah, yeah. Definitely uh, the first one I could answer if I had... Uh, more than f- five minutes, but <laughs> yeah, and I was also kind of wondering why now. Yeah, why wouldn't you ask me this question sure. a month ago? Right, you know. Yeah, and then today I was asked to be on a, a program on Al Jazeera with a Azerbaijani member of parliament, and uh, I declined because it's like it's like asking the victim who's been raped to talk to her rapist about the situation and then get into a debate. I understand both sidism, but, you know, there's this great quote that people have been sharing lately that, you know, it's not your job as a journalist to ask both sides whether it's uh, raining or not. It's your job to open the window and look out and see if it is raining. There are no two sides in this case. Territorial integrity does not give you the right to commit ethnic cleansing. And that is exactly what Baku did. And we are having, unfortunately to um, witness it and to not know what the future holds. I'm also to be worried about Armenia's own security, right. whether or not these are, this uh, concerns will be uh, justified or not. Hopefully uh, <laughs> they will not be. But, but uh, history has shown us that uh, despite any kind of promises, despite the West now saying Armenia is a red line, despite the West saying that human lives matter and we will not stand by and watch ethnic cleansing, they stood by and watched ethnic cleansing. And then this they want to swoop in and help. Yes. Yeah. And now there's just a he, uh, here is humanitarian aid in the form of money. So this is increasingly concerning for Armenia, even though they're drawing lead supposedly red lines in words. I hope they're not just, mm-hmm. will, they will not be sending humanitarian aid in the form of money for the Republic of Armenia next. And on this great note. On this great note, thank you for listening. And um, as I said, we will keep doing our job and reporting on what is taking place. Thank you for following us. Have a safe and peaceful weekend, wherever you are. Mm-hmm.